You're listening to Jar of Hearts by Jennifer Hillier. Read for you by January Lavoie. Gio listlessly picks at her soggy oatmeal and burned toast as her bunkmate sits across from her at the table in her usual spot. She starts her job in the hair salon today, which, relatively speaking, should have been something to look forward to. But all she wants is to find a quiet spot and hide. If Bernie was in a good mood yesterday, she's in an even better mood today. Gio's managed to avoid making eye contact up till now, but when their eyes finally meet, the mammoth smiles. Not taking her eyes off Geo, Bernie waggles her fingers, then makes a show of putting them to her nose and inhaling deeply. Then she inserts her first and middle fingers into her mouth and sucks. The women at their table laugh at the obscene gesture, albeit nervously. Geo's stomach turns. Before she can stop herself, she vomits into her tray and all over the front of her own shirt, and learns that oatmeal looks exactly the same coming up as it does going down. Shit, the inmate sitting beside her jumps out of her seat. You disgusting bitch. A corrections officer is at her side a few seconds later. Get up, Shaw, he says, his face a mask of revulsion as he surveys the regurgitated oatmeal all over Gio's shirt and pants. Do you need to go to the infirmary? What happened to your face? Gio's cheekbone is purple from where Bernie slammed her fist into it a few hours before, but it only comprises a fraction of the pain she's feeling. She shakes her head, still feeling nauseated. The last thing she wants is to be checked over by a nurse. She absolutely does not want to be touched. Everyone's eyes are on her, including the mammoths. Just, just a shower, I think. I'm fine. Go straight to the bathroom, clean yourself up. He speaks into his shoulder where his walkie-talkie sits. Janitorial and chow hall stat. Gio leaves the cafeteria, humiliated, while the other inmates smirk. She doesn't have to look at Bernie to know that her bunkmate is laughing along with the others. She showers by herself in a tiny stall with a ripped curtain wearing her rubber flip-flops. The shower is cranked all the way up, but the temperature never gets hotter than lukewarm, and the water will shut off in eight minutes whether she's finished or not. Working fast, she uses her bar of soap on both her hair and her body, as someone's already stolen her shampoo. She scrubs her skin raw with her fingernails. When the shower shuts off, she opens the curtain a little and feels around on the outer wall for her towel. It's not hanging where she left it. She pulls the curtain open wider and jumps when she sees someone standing there, leaning against the counter across from the stall. Gio's towel is draped over her arm. It's the black woman from the day before. She has no entourage today. They're alone in the bathroom. I'm Ella Frank, she says. When Gio doesn't move, she holds out the towel. You must be freezing. Gio is cold, but there's no way to reach the towel without stepping out of the shower. She finally does, dripping wet, and the woman hands it to her. Gio wraps the towel around herself quickly, trembling. But it's not just from the cool air. She's aware of Ella Frank's reputation. Everyone in here is, though up till this point, Gio didn't know exactly which inmate she was until the woman said her name. And now here they are, standing in front of each other, and Gio is practically naked. 
She has no weapons to stab with, no boots on her feet to kick with. She doesn't know what this woman wants from her, but she does know she can't handle being raped again. She'd rather die. I'm not going to hurt you, Ella Frank says. I'm not the mammoth. Gio's throat closes up. You know? I have eyes and ears all over. Why didn't you say anything to me yesterday? The words are out before Gio can stop them, and she winces at their bluntness. It's not my job to protect you, unless you want it to be. The woman fixes her gaze on Gio. It's intense, unblinking. They're about the same size. If anything, the black woman is a bit thinner. But Gio has no doubt Ella Frank could kill her without breaking a sweat. You know who I am. Gio nods, the full story coming back to her. In her media photos as the wife of drug lord James Frank, Ella was always impeccably dressed with long black hair and bright fuchsia lipstick. The prison version of Ella Frank is more subtle. The weave is gone, the hair is short, the lips are bare, the clothes are the same prison scrubs everyone else wears. But she looks just as dangerous. It's in the way she stands, the way she speaks, the way she's looking at Gio now. Ella ran her husband's security team, killing his perceived enemies by shooting them in the head with the small caliber weapon she wore strapped around her thigh. She's in for the murder of two rivals, though rumor has it she's killed at least a dozen. And she's no less powerful in here than she was on the outside. Ella Frank is responsible for almost all the drugs that find their way into Hazelwood on a regular basis. Currently embroiled in a turf battle with another drug dealer, she's in a situation that's getting ugly. But unlike most of the women in Hazelwood who'll be released at some point in the future, Ella Frank is serving back-to-back -back life sentences. She'll never get out. She'll die in here. Which means she has nothing whatsoever to lose. This makes her extremely dangerous. You're Georgina Shaw, Ella says. I read about you. Big time executive on the outside. You made a lot of money, I bet. I spent a lot of money, too. Ella laughs softly. I feel you. Life's short. Might as well enjoy it while you have it, am I right? Her eyes are fixed on Gio's face. The irises are so dark that Gio can't see her pupils. So, your bunkmate has taken a significant liking to you. How do you feel about that? It's terrible, Gio says. It comes out a whisper. Ella nods. I know Bernadette from another prison. She must have creamed her double XL underwear when you were assigned to her bunk. You're just her type. White, pretty, classy. You understand it will keep happening. Yes. This time the word comes out a whimper. I can make it stop, the black woman says, her eyes never leaving Gio's face. I can make it so that nobody in here ever touches you again. Do you want my help? Gio closes her eyes, knowing that the next word she says will change everything. Yes. My help isn't free. She opens her eyes again. I know. Okay, Alice says and smiles. I'll take care of it. You get dressed now. 
But before I go, allow me to offer some advice, woman to woman. Gio eyes the fresh clothes folded on the counter beside Ella. She doesn't dare reach for them. It requires moving closer. Of course, she says. Hold your head high, Ella says. Carry yourself like you run the place. Don't back down from anybody. The way you look, with your pretty white girl hair and your pretty white girl face, you're never going to be invisible in here. Not after what you did on the outside. So own it. Someone gets in your face, you cut a bitch. You understand me? I can and will protect you, but I could get shanked tomorrow. And then where will you be? Gio nods. I understand. Thank you. Ella hands Gio her clothes. As she reaches for them, her towel slips, and suddenly she's naked again. The other woman's eyes flicker up and down her body. She chuckles. Yeah, you're beautiful, but you're not my type. I like dick. Gio dresses hastily. One of my girls will find you in the hair salon later, Ella says. When she does, you give her what she asks for. Two hours pass before someone approaches her in the hair salon. Gio recognizes her as one of the women on Ella's security detail. She gives the woman what she asks for, keeping one eye on the camera mounted on the ceiling. Don't worry about it, the woman says. The guard who's supposed to be watching the monitor is distracted. Less than a half hour later, the woman is back. I rinsed them, but get some bleach on it, she says. And they were never out of your sight, you understand? Gio understands. An hour after that, while she's in the chow hall eating lunch, the prison goes on lockdown. Bernadette Novotny, also known as the Mammoth, is dead. News spreads like wildfire in prison. Bernie was found in the prison laundry behind the steam press. There's no question how it happened. Multiple stab wounds punctured her carotid artery. She would have bled out in seconds. Gio lies on the floor with her hands beside her head, alongside the other inmates in the chow hall. The guards are searching for the murder weapon and pulling Bernie's known enemies, of which there are many, into the office for questioning. But they won't solve this. The shears that Gio gave to Ella's associate were bleached clean and locked back in the drawer before she left for lunch, by the same CO who signed them out to her earlier that morning. Over the course of the day, with no other leads, the guards question women in the big room one by one. They start with Gio, since it was her bunkmate who died. She says the same thing everyone else will say. She saw nothing, heard nothing, and has no idea who might have done it. She ignores the looks and whispers from the other inmates, and for a brief moment considers pointing the finger at the woman in the next bunk over, who knew Gio was being raped and did nothing. She decides against it. Had their positions been reversed, Gio might have done the same thing. Later in the day, the body is finally moved. The lockdown is lifted, and life in prison returns to normal. But now it's a new normal. With the bunk above her empty, Gio sleeps. For the first time since she's been at Hellwood, she sleeps a full eight hours. The next morning at breakfast, Ella Frank sits down at her table in the chow hall. She smiles at Gio. Gio smiles back. 
They sit across from each other like two old friends, eating their overcooked sausage and rubbery eggs. How's it going, Georgina? Ella asks pleasantly. You look rested. I slept well, she answers. And my friends call me Gio. Ella chuckles. So we're friends now? And here I thought we had a simple business deal. I perform a service, you perform a service. Quid pro quo. That's how it works in here. What if this was more than just a business transaction? Gio asks. She has no intention of sticking drugs up her ass or being part of the woman's security squad. What if we become business associates? You have a business to run, and I'm a businesswoman. If you recall, I was pretty good at my last job. One of my responsibilities, and perhaps the most important one, was maximizing profits. I think you and I could work well together. I think you already know that, actually. Otherwise, you wouldn't have bothered helping me in the first place. The other woman's smile makes her look younger, softer. But her voice, as mellifluous as it is, is still laced with steel. You learn fast, G. And it's an attractive offer. But you forgot one thing. I don't need you. It's Gio's turn to smile. You have kids, right? Excuse me? Ella's voice hardened. Have you ever thought about starting a college fund for them? Gio speaks fast before Ella goes ballistic. She's on dangerous ground. Even mentioning another woman's children could get you killed in here. I know they're little now, but I bet they're smart. What if they want to go to college one day? Student loans can be crippling. I can help with that. She pauses to let what she's said sink in. There's no reason your family can't thrive financially in a legitimate way. I can help you create a nest egg for them, something they can build on when they're grown. Ella's dark eyes appraise her, searching for any indication that Gio is trying to bullshit her. Finding none, she finally says, Okay, I'm listening. They talk for the remainder of breakfast. When Gio gets back to her bunk after her work shift later that day, her hygiene bin, which she forgot to stow away after her shower that morning, is still on her bed where she left it. For once, nobody touched it. Shampoo, toothpaste, even a new bar of soap. It's all there. A guard finds her a few minutes later. Shaw, you're being transferred, she barks. Gio frowns. Where to? Private cell, one just opened up. How? I thought the other units were full due to the construction. The CO raises an eyebrow. You want it or not? Get your shit and meet me in the hallway. Once again, Gio collects her things. As she makes her way out of the big room for the last time, her fellow inmates move out of her way. A few of the women even avert their eyes after making eye contact. It's a sign of deference, a sign of respect. In the real world, you earned it through hard work, admiration, loyalty, and sometimes love. In prison, there was only one way. You earned respect through fear. In her new private cell, Gio finds a cell phone tucked under her mattress, just where Ella Frank said it would be. The letter looks innocent enough from the outside. Plain blue envelope with her name, DOC number, and the address of Hazelwood Correctional Institute written in neat, even letters. The name and return address is one Geo doesn't recognize. 
She opens the envelope, which contains a single sheet of matching blue paper, folded carefully, and more of that neat handwriting. She begins to read. Thirty seconds later, the letter is stuffed back inside its envelope, and the envelope is shoved into the middle of a book that she's read twice already. The book is then placed on the shelf above her desk, never to be touched again. She looks down at her hands. They're shaking. He wrote to her. God damn it. The memories threaten to flood in, to break the barrier that Gio has spent years constructing around her head and her heart. She doesn't want to think about him. It's always been so much easier to pretend he's not out there somewhere. Her ability to compartmentalize the different pieces of her life is the only fucking reason she's sane. No. No, no, no. God damn it. She feels something on her face and touches it, and is shocked to discover that she's crying. God damn it. Bad time? The inmate from the cell next door is standing in her open doorway, watching her with a concerned expression. The older woman is in her late 50s, a sprite of a lady with bright burgundy curls and an expressive mouth that's always laughing, eating, or cussing, sometimes all three at the same time. Ella Frank might be Gio's business associate, but Kat Bonaducci is Gio's friend, the first real girlfriend she's had in a long time. The last one was Angela. Kind of, Gio says, but she waves her in. What's up? I want to take a new picture. For the pen pal thing I told you about. Can you do my hair? She holds up a box of nice and easy hair color, the only kind you can purchase from commissary. Write a prisoner? You sure it's not really called date a prisoner? Gio wipes her eyes. Sure, I have a bit of time before my first appointment. Cat follows Gio out of the cell. They buzz to be let out and head down to the education wing where the prison hair salon is located. Kat also brings her small bag of cosmetics. She'll probably ask for help with her makeup, too. Inmates are technically allowed only six makeup items each, but it's a moronic rule that the prison never enforces. The better women look, the better they feel. The better they feel, the higher the overall morale. And when morale is high, incidents of violence are low. The salon is really just a small, plain room with a wash sink, chair, small desk, and mirror. Inmates have to buy their own hair color from commissary, and Gio only has access to the shears after a CO unlocks the drawer and signs them out. She opens the box of Nice and Easy and starts mixing Kat's color. What's going on with you? Kat asks, as Gio begins to apply the hair color to her friend's gray roots. Were you crying? Gio doesn't answer. She doesn't want to talk about the letter. The past needs to stay in the past. It's the only way to keep moving forward. Maybe. Now shut up and let me work my magic. You never did tell me how you got so good at doing hair and makeup, Kat says, closing her eyes as Geo works. The fumes are strong. I thought you had a desk job on the outside. I went to beauty school for a year, in between college and my master's degree. You're shitting me. Gio smiles. That's the exact same thing my dad said. When I told him after graduation that I'd enrolled at the Emerald Beauty Academy, he thought I was joking. He thought it would be a waste of time. Actually, the exact thing Walter Shaw had said to her was, beauty school is for people who can't get into college, Georgina. You have a degree, for Christ's sakes, 
and you're attending a school that takes high school dropouts? But she doesn't want to say this to Kat, who never finished high school. It was fun, she says instead. I spent five days a week learning everything there was to learn about makeup and hair. After that, I landed an internship at Ship Pharmaceuticals, and the rest, as they say, is history. They have an MBA reimbursement program, so I took advantage of it and worked my way up. Telling Kat the story makes her think of Andrew. It's been two months, and her ex-fiancé's name is still on her approved visitors list. She never bothered to take it off. It means going down to the visitor's office and telling them to remove his name. And Andrew Ship, bless his rich, white, entitled ass, doesn't deserve the ounce of energy that would take. Not that she wishes him ill. She just doesn't wish him anything at all. Her dad always said that you only get one real chance at love. And if that was true, Gio had wasted hers at the age of 16 on a boyfriend who'd turned out to be a serial killer known as the Sweet Bay Strangler. She remembers thinking it was such a silly name when Kaiser Brody first told her about it, the day he'd come to arrest her. They were sitting across from each other in the interrogation room at Seattle PD. Fred Argent, the head of ship's in-house counsel, was seated beside her, way out of his depth as Kaiser explained what her old boyfriend Calvin James had done. It didn't sound so silly anymore. Wait, Fred had said, looking every inch the corporate attorney he was trained to be, late fifties, white, and completely outraged at the thought that one of ship's own was being treated like a common criminal. I thought you were arresting Miss Shaw for the murder of someone named Angela Wong. We are, but that's not the only crime Calvin James has been charged with, Kaiser said. He's murdered three other women that we know of over the past decade. Gio drew in a sharp breath. Immediately, Fred leaned over to whisper in her ear. His breath was rank with stale whiskey. It was no big secret that the old lawyer kept a bottle of Jack Daniels in his desk drawer. He'd probably taken a couple of shots before meeting her here. I've called Daniel Attenbaum, the best criminal defense attorney in Seattle. He'll be here shortly. Andrew said not to worry about anything. He'll cover all the expenses out of his personal account. In the meantime, say nothing, okay? Gio nodded. Kaiser was watching the two of them with amusement. Then he opened the manila file folder on the table and pulled out the photos. Two of them, both eight by tens, full color. Keeping them side by side, he pushed them across the table. Angela Wong, he said. Fred Argent looked at the photos and blanched, his eyes darting back and forth between the two pictures several times. Gio glanced down, drew in another breath, and then averted her gaze. It was exactly as horrific as she imagined it would be. My God, the lawyer put a hand over his mouth. Is that... He didn't finish the sentence. He couldn't. Fred spent most of his day in a cushy office, drafting contracts, reading fine print, and discussing the legal aspects of the pharmaceutical business. He looked positively traumatized. Then again, a photograph of a pile of human bones and tattered clothing would traumatize anyone. Her purse was buried with her, Kaiser said, speaking to Gio. It contained her driver's license and her high school ID card. Also her camera. There's no doubt it's her. Gio said nothing. Remember that camera? Kaiser smiled. Some fancy thing her dad won in a golf tournament? Small, but not digital. 
They didn't really have digital cameras for the consumer back then. It was a 35 millimeter. She was always buying film at the 7-Eleven, always carrying it around, taking pictures of everything. Remember? Gio remembered. The film was preserved inside the camera from that night, Kaiser said. We got the pictures developed. Want to see? You and I are in a whole bunch of them. It's a real blast from the past. Internally, Gio shook her head rapidly. Externally, she didn't blink. Come again, Fred Argent said. I'm afraid I don't understand any of this. You're speaking to Miss Shaw like you have a previous relationship with her. Do you two know each other outside of this situation? Catch up, dude, Kaiser said nonchalantly, and Gio almost laughed. It was something he used to say in high school. Miss Shaw and I go way back. We were, how do the kids put it now? BFFs back in the day. Best friends along with Angela Wong. Right, Gio? Again, Gio said nothing. Kaiser reached into the folder again and pulled out a smaller envelope filled with photos. He removed them and placed them in a stack in front of Gio. These are from Angela's camera. Have a look. You'll be tickled, I'm sure. We all look so young. She didn't want to look, but she couldn't help it. The picture on top was the three of them, taken a few days before the night Angela died. They were standing in the entryway of Angela's house, and Kaiser had snapped a picture of their reflection in the full-length hallway mirror. Gio plucked the photo from the stack and examined it closer. Kaiser was right. They looked very young. He was skinnier then and not quite as tall as he was now. Gio appeared shy and self-conscious standing beside him. Angela was on his other side, posing with a hand on her hip and her hair tossed to the side, hamming it up for the camera. Gio looked pretty. Angela looked beautiful. She started thumbing through the rest of the photos. Angela had indeed taken pictures of everything in the days before she died. School, cheer practice, the football game, Chad Fenton's party, and then Calvin. He was in the very last photo with Gio. They were sitting side by side on his bed in his apartment after the party. Gio was wearing a short blue dress, and it had hiked up almost to her underwear. Her head was resting on Calvin's shoulder, and he had a hand on her thigh. He could never be near her and not touch her. He was always stroking her, playing with her hair, squeezing her hand. She shuddered. She hadn't thought about that in a long time. She hadn't allowed herself to think about it in a long time. She didn't remember this picture being taken. But then why would she? The picture didn't show it, but she was so drunk that night she could barely stand. Who is that? Fred Argent was leaning in toward Gio, frowning at the photo. That, sir, is the Sweet Bay Strangler, Kaiser said, back when he used to date Georgina. A sharp intake of breath. For once, not Gio's. She glanced over at Ship's lawyer, where beads of sweat were forming at his hairline. The man's blood pressure was probably up 20 points, no doubt because his CEO's fiance was in major trouble here. And he was stuck with the task of protecting her, something he obviously wasn't cut out to do. What's so crazy is that discovering Angela's remains after all these years allowed us to solve three other murders just like that. Kaiser snapped his fingers for emphasis. 
We already had his DNA in the database for three other murders, but no ID. But then we developed the pictures in Angela's camera. Imagine my shock, my utter fucking shock, when I realized Calvin James was with Angela the night she died, as were you. But that doesn't mean she, Fred began, but Kaiser raised a hand. Now we had an ID on a possible suspect, the detective continued. We tracked Calvin down, arrested him at a diner in Blaine. You know where Blaine is, right? Right by the Canadian border? Fucker was about to cross into Canada. Had a passport and everything. Had he done that, we might never have caught him. Guess what he was eating when we caught him? Guess. Gio said nothing. A salad, Kaiser said. Isn't that funny? Because you never think about what serial killers eat, do you? I mean, other than Jeffrey Dahmer. Fred Argent paled. Sorry, bad joke, Kaiser said with a smirk, not sorry at all. But it turns out psychopaths are just like you and me in some ways. They watch their waistlines, they care about their blood pressure. Did you know that something like 5% of all CEOs can be classified as psychopaths? I read that somewhere. It was 4%. Geo had read that book too. And you were on the fast track to success at your company, weren't you? How many people did you step on to get there? I've been keeping tabs on you. Does your rich heir to the throne fiance know your secret? Kaiser's voice was polite, but there was no mistaking the edge that lay right beneath the surface. Had you gone to the police the night you killed Angela, you might have saved three more lives from being taken. Calvin James was 21. You were only 16. You could have struck a deal and you might never have seen the inside of a jail cell. You could have spared her parents 14 years of agony of not knowing where their daughter was or what happened to her. You would have spared her friends the pain of all those unanswered questions because all this time you knew, Georgina. You knew. You knew. The last two words weren't shouted, but they might as well have been. Gio winced as if he'd slapped her. Want to know what he did to the other three women? The women he killed because you never said anything? Kaiser was breathing fast now, his chest heaving. He pulled more photographs out of the file folder and shoved them across the table. The pictures are gory, the bodies discolored, bloated, because death was ugly. He raped them first, then he strangled them, and then he buried their bodies in the woods. He probably figured he got away with it once and it turned him on, so why not do it again? And again, and again. You murdered your best friend and then you went on with your life like it never fucking happened. The words stung. Gio felt herself sag into her chair. I loved her, she whispered again. You know that. Georgina, stop speaking, Fred said to her. His phone beeped and he checked the text message. God damn it, Attenbaum is stuck in traffic. He'll be another 20 minutes at least. Not another word until he's inside this room, you understand? Calvin says you secretly hated her, Kaiser said. Geo's insides tightened. Calvin's here? He was for a while, but he's been moved. Her old friend leaned forward, his eyes never leaving Geo's face. You wouldn't recognize him right now. He's got long hair, a thick beard. I'm sure he'll clean himself up for the trial. He said that back then you and Angela had a rivalry going. 
And it's funny because as soon as he said that, I realized he was right. I was always playing the peacemaker with you guys, but I just thought all the bickering and competition was a girl thing. I never wanted anything bad to happen to her, Gio said. Jesus Christ, Georgina, please, Fred Argent said, glaring at the closed door as if he thought he could summon Daniel Attenbaum through sheer willpower. The good news is the DA doesn't want you, Kaiser said, saying the line that every cop used in the movies. They want Calvin. How am I supposed to help, she asked. Fred Argent sighed deeply and placed his head in his hands. Testify, Kaiser said. The district attorney will agree to a plea deal in exchange for your testimony. But you need to make a decision quick before the DA decides she doesn't need you. Georgina, Andrew said, Fred began, but she shook her head. It doesn't matter what Andrew said. Gio took a deep breath. You can go now, Fred. I'll wait for Attenbaum. If you see Andrew, tell him I love him and that I'm grateful for his help and support and that I'm sorry for any embarrassment I caused. Go ahead and put together my severance package. I'll sign off on it tonight. Severance package? The lawyer looked completely caught off guard. Gio turned to him and managed a rueful smile. I have to disassociate myself from the company, of course. All of this will be terrible publicity for Ship. But I'd like you to treat me fairly. I've been a valuable asset and I want what I'm entitled to. I think one year's salary plus the bonus I would have received is reasonable. That's premature, Fred said, his mouth slightly ajar. Andrew will- The trial will be public, I'm sure. However, if I sign a non-disclosure agreement, which I'm happy to do if the settlement is fair, we can prevent my personal situation from affecting ship. Talk to Andrew. I'm sure he'll agree it's best for the company. She caught Kaiser's look, knew what he must be thinking. It was a hell of a time to be making a business deal, but she would never have made it to the executive level of a major corporation by the age of 30 without the ability to negotiate under pressure. Thankfully, it's a transferable skill, one that will make all the difference between surviving prison and dying in here. It's also self-preservation. Her corporate career is over. The best she can hope for is to take the settlement and invest it, adding whatever she and Ella make to the pot. By the time she's released, she might have enough to start over. She could always renew her cosmetology license and open a salon. She puts the finishing touches on Kat's face, then hands her friend a small plastic mirror. You're done. Take a look. Kat checks her reflection and nods her approval. Where did you go just now? You zoned out. Did you hear anything I said in the last 10 minutes? Sorry, Geo sighs. It's been that kind of day. It's Hellwood. Every day is that kind of day. Cat stands up. I'm off. Catch you in Chow Hall. Ta-ta. Cat practically skips out. A small woman with a heart and spirit so big. Geo wishes they could know each other outside these prison walls. The older woman has made some giant mistakes in her life, but Kat's a good person. Gio's next client is not a good person. She takes a seat in the chair and hands Gio a few pages ripped from old beauty magazines they keep in the recreation room. Gio listens politely, trying not to think about how the woman and her husband used to own a daycare where they would film the children naked and upload the footage to a child pornography site. 
The woman is serving out her sentence in protective custody for her own safety and is allowed two haircuts per year. Her husband was beaten to death in the men's prison two years ago. The pedophile tells her she wants bangs. This is Gio's life now, surrounded by all manner of wicked human beings who do nothing to make the world a better place, who take and take and take, giving absolutely nothing back. And in a lot of ways, she's no better than they are. This is exactly what she deserves. She picks up her shears and starts snipping. See, Dad? Told you beauty school would come in handy. It's almost lunchtime before she gets a break, but she's stopped by a corrections officer as she's heading toward the chow hall. Shauna Lyle. Shaw, the CO snaps. The woman is only 5'2", and the tight fit of her uniform showcases the rolls around her midsection and the expanse of her thighs. But her physical softness is deceiving. She's nobody to be trifled with. You have a visitor. Who is it? Gio's stomach is growling. She heard they were serving chili today, which is one of the things the kitchen staff cooks that actually tastes like it's supposed to. I'm not your fucking social secretary. If looks could kill, Gio would have been pushed through a meat grinder. You want to see him or not? It's probably her father, but he usually visits on Sundays. Gio's in no mood to socialize, but she follows the guard down the hallway toward the visitor's lounge, an open area with a dozen tables and chairs, and a row of vending machines across the side wall. There's even a play area for the kids, and a nice view of the gardens behind the prison. Not in there, the CO says. There. She points toward one of the private visitor's rooms. Much less comfortable, but inside there's complete privacy. No guards watching, no cameras, just a small table with four chairs and a door that closes. Usually these rooms are saved for lawyer visits, but fancy Daniel Attenbaum isn't needed anymore, now that Calvin's trial is over. Confused, she pushes open the door. Kaiser Brody is leaning against the edge of the table, checking his phone. What are you doing here? She asks, silently wondering if she somehow conjured him by losing herself in the past earlier. Kaiser looks her over, at her hair, her clothes. She finds herself feeling self-conscious under his scrutiny. Prison scrubs are far from flattering, and she's not wearing makeup. She looked much better the last time they saw each other, but then again, so did he. The detective's eyes are bloodshot, and they're cradled in deep, dark circles. A patchy, three-day beard covers the lower half of his face. You okay? Kaiser asks. Yeah, Gio says. Are you? Shut the door. She does as he asks. He puts his phone away and straightens up. I'm going to ask you straight out. Have you been in touch with Calvin James since you've been in here? Of course I haven't, she says, her breath quickening. He's in prison too. Inmates aren't allowed to contact other inmates. Besides, he'd have no reason to. We're not connected by anything anymore. Are you sure? She thinks of the letter she received earlier that day, the blue paper and the blue envelope with an unfamiliar name and return address, then pushes it out of her mind. Yes, I'm sure. Kaiser's eyes search her face. What did he give you that day in court? And don't say nothing because I know he gave you something. It was a piece of paper, yellow, small, torn from his notepad. What was written on it? 
nothing. Stop, he says, raising a hand. Just fucking stop. Don't lie to me. I know he gave you something. I saw it. And I need to know what it was, so don't fucking play me, Georgina. Was it a phone number? Some way to contact him? What did he give you? The last five words come out a shout. Kaiser's spittle lands on her nose and cheeks. Shocked at his fury, she wipes it away, backing up all the way to the closed door. It was a note. I don't remember what it said. He drew a heart on it. It's half a lie. She remembers exactly what it said. You're welcome. But she can't tell Kaiser this because then she'll have to explain what it means. And she can't do that. She'll never do that. It wasn't an address of some kind or a phone number. Kaiser's jaw is tense. Both his hands are curled up into fists so tightly that the knuckles are white. He's about to lose it and suddenly she's afraid he might hit her. She looks up at the ceiling. No cameras in here. Nothing like that, she says again, hoping she sounds more convincing. It was a silly note. What I remember is the heart. There was no contact information on it, I promise you. Why is this important? Because he escaped from prison, Kaiser says. And just like that, Gio's heart stops. Three days ago, he had help on the inside, a prison guard and his counselor, both female. Both are now dead. Her mouth opens, but nothing comes out. She snaps it shut, then opens it again, then still can't think of what to say. She shuts it again. Okay, so you didn't know. Kaiser seems satisfied with her reaction. He lets out a long breath and leans back against the table again. I believe you. Of course I didn't know, Gio says, finally finding her voice. But why are you telling me? Look where I am. Obviously, I can't help you find him. I thought you'd want to know, Kaiser says, because at some point you'll be out of here. And I don't want you to think I didn't warn you. Warn me about what? Kaiser reaches into his pocket and pulls out a folded piece of yellow pad paper. It's the same piece of paper that Calvin had been doodling on the day she'd testified in court. A piece was torn off from the bottom. The piece he'd handed to her the piece she'd swallowed. She takes it from Kaiser and unfolds it. The outer edges are a mess of scribbles, doodles, pictures, and random words. But right in the center, Calvin drew a large heart. And inside the heart, he'd written two initials in flowing cursive. G.S. Her heart stops for a full second, then starts beating again triple time. She works hard to not let her reaction show. I feel strongly that he's going to try and contact you, Kaiser says, rubbing his face. He looks exhausted. I don't know how, but when he does, I need you to tell me. The blue letter flits through her mind again, then flits out. Gio hands the paper back to him. He won't, she says, so defiantly and authoritatively that she almost believes it herself. He has no reason to. Now I have to go. If she doesn't leave now, he'll see right through her. She turns away and opens the door. Georgina, Kaiser says, take care of yourself in here. She pauses, then turns to her old friend one last time. With the badge on his hip, the worn leather jacket, the scruffy face, he looks like a stranger. 
Maybe he loved her once when they were kids, but that was a long time ago when she was worthy of love. Everything's different now. It hurts to look at him. He reminds her of the person she used to be. I don't want to see you anymore, Kai, Geo says softly. Please don't come here again. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow this podcast to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can buy the audiobook of Jar of Hearts wherever books or audiobooks are sold.